Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I got SeatGeek on my phone, pulling up the app right now to check out USC Homecoming. That's going to be my 25th reunion at USC. Got to go to the game. I got some great deals. Uh, they get The best deal out there is a row 20, row 20 seats. For 93 bucks, but they also have some cheap deals too. They have tickets for as low as $32. You can see all of that on the SeatGeek app. Every purchase is also fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So I talked about the app being on my phone. It's the easiest way if you need to shop and buy tickets. So best of all, all of our listeners here on the Parastyle Podcast, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the app, enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC, and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You want to go to homecoming, you haven't been to a game all year, go on to SeatGeek, download the app. You'll get $20 off that $32 seat, just becomes $12. Pretty good. So SeatGeek, check it out. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, going to talk some USC Trojan football. Yes, the Trojans are 4-4, four and four, but there's still a lot to talk about. Trust me, come June or July, you'll be begging for a 4-4 four and four football team because it's college football still, so don't be down. Just wipe those tears out of your eyes. It's still going forward. You got some homecoming coming up. You got UCLA, Notre Dame, a trip to Corvallis that uh, my two guests today, Dan and Keeley, will be making. But we got Dan Weber on the line. Keeley, you're here in studio Keely, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Drama around USC. It feels no. it feels feels good to be back with the drama. <laughs> drama. That's what. That's why we hired you, Keely, for the drama. You wanted the drama around. Not that you bring the drama, but you like the drama. My tenure at USC has been filled with drama. There's been a, plenty of drama, and uh, Dan Weber's seen his fair share of drama. What's up, Dan? How are you? Very good. Yeah, everybody's tenure at USC has been filled with drama. True, to be very honest. true. Uh, and we've always said that. There's something about USC. It's never boring. Uh, and you never know. And we always tell you to stay tuned because you don't know. You can listen to what happened on Sunday and say, well, I can you know, sleep in on Monday. And then Sunday, things change. And who knows how they're going to change on Tuesday. And, <laughs> you know, who knows? I mean, just... You know, and the four games, uh, can you meet? I mean, look, look at the difference in that scenario of how those four games turn out for this 4-4 four four team. I mean, you could create a scenario where they would beat the three teams that they're better than, okay? And then, who knows, maybe it rains or something, you know, for the Notre Dame game. I don't know, you know, and then somebody falls down and picks up a fumble. and well, Anything, it could go that way and it could go the other way. Uh and I don't, we don't have a clue right now which way this thing's going at all. We don't. I mean, that's, that's part of what's the fun. The difference? How big a difference is it? You could be eight and four, 
Probably not, but, you know, some weird stuff happens in USC Notre Dame series. Or you could be 4-8. and eight. That's a pretty big, big swing. Wow. That's a pretty big swing, uh, I would say. Yeah, it's uh, this is nuts. A- <laughs> this is not, yeah, this is not for the faint of heart Trojan fans right now. Uh, but just want to let people know if you have, we, you guys sent in a lot of questions. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you want to call or text, we got those. We got voicemails. We got text questions 424 254 9141. Maybe we could squeeze it all in if we did a three and a half hour show. We're not going to do that because we have to go to practice. So we'll try to get as many of your questions in and uh, talk about all that. Wanted to thank also Trader Joe's. They've been a great sponsor for us over the years and uh, we appreciate them. They're sticking with us, you know, and you guys are sticking with us, which is great. People still listening. We love it. But Trader Joe's has been awesome. Uh, my wife and I love going to our little, it's not that little, little one in uh, Hermosa Beach. Uh, they took over one of the local stores a couple of years ago. It's been awesome having that there. And of course, if you're going to USC for homecoming, perfect time to go to Trader Joe's over at the University Village. You got to check out the University Village anyway. If you're if you're coming back for homecoming, it's your first time, you haven't been to campus for a while, go over to the Village, make sure you stop by Trader Joe's, get some cool stuff. But it's pretty awesome over there. And they got the uh, the dining hall that looks like Hogwarts. You know, it's like Gryffindor kind of stuff in there. It's pretty crazy. Uh, it's before Keeley's time. Keely, they didn't have that when you were there, but it's, it's pretty awesome. Unfortunately not. I'm becoming an old alumni, alum, alumnus. Old, not that old, but that's... yeah. But uh, the part of being a USC alumni is that you always complain that it it wasn't as nice when you were there, right? So I'm already there. They put new buildings in every day, so I think true. yeah. The, Very as, true. as soon as you graduate, the campus is better. Always, you know. True. Um, well, then I hate to interrupt, but uh, no. Ryan mentioning time and homecoming, uh, and maybe <laughs> going to Trader Joe's oh. before or after, since we have no idea what time the game is going to be for homecoming and won't know till next Monday, I guess. Uh, it's kind of hard to plan your homecoming thanks to the TV deal that, that USC and the Pac-12 have. That, that people, I mean, homecoming ought to be one of those weekends you could kind of prepare for, plan for, uh, have your activities before and after and all that. It could start at 1230 and apparently the game could start as late as 745. It's a pretty big range. Uh, hello? <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with that? So I, this, mean, I, I want to go on a little rant here, Dan. I've gone on a lot of rants lately, and I know you like my you know, coaching yeah. uh, requirement rant, but this is a different kind of rant. So I cover. I went to USC undergrad and grad school. This is my 25th anniversary, my 25th reunion of going wow. to USC. I got roped in, which is fine. It's cool to be on the reunion committee. So I'm like the co-chair of outreach. Basically, I have to call up all kinds of people and try to get them to come to the reunion. Well, it's been the most challenging tr- year to try to do something like that because part of the reunion is giving and people are not exactly happy to be giving right now because of the controversy going on with, you know, getting, having the president resign and all that kind of stuff. Of course, the football team uh, isn't doing all that well. Uh, that's a, it's one of the more challenging times for something like that with the coaching controversy stuff going on, like that's a little bit challenging. But this, the time of the game is also something that it, it's, you know, not knowing it until five days or six days before the game really, really sucks. And I'm not going to cover this game. I'm going to the game. I'm going to be a fan at the game, like the first time in a while, you know, just go and 
be able to enjoy myself because it's my reunion. I'm going to do their tailgate and all this kind of stuff. And we still don't know. So now it's like personally affecting me that we don't know what time <laughs> the stupid ta- to have the tailgate and all this kind of stuff. But here's what the deal is. We had a, I got invited to Fox Sports earlier in the year for their college football kickoff thing. And they do all that. They, you know, we met everyone like Liner was there. We talked to all those guys, Bruce and Colin and everybody. So we we're talking to all of them. And one of the speakers they had, or one of the guys that came in to talk about was the scheduler. So how does this work? Well, each network gets three chances per season to use their six-day window. So ESPN gets one and Fox gets one. So if they want to wait, so this was going to be a weekend. That homecoming weekend, I believe, was a Fox or ESPN. One of the two is using their six-day window sort of thing. Now, each school can protect one game to make sure that that doesn't fall into a six-day window. You know, typically, you want your school because you want to be able to protect like a homecoming game. Well, what USC does, and they've done for the last two years, is protect the parents' weekend game to allow that to have a particular time. So you would know two weeks in advance as opposed to homecoming. So this was USC's choice. It was a university choice. They could have protected homecoming so we would know when kickoff was now. But USC chose to protect home. I mean, uh, parents' weekend instead of homecoming. So I don't know what you think about that. Obviously, parents are the ones that are flipping the tuition bill, but... USC had a chance. They could have protected this game, Dan, and they chose not to. Yeah, I, I did not know that. That That's interesting. I know that they are really, you know, crazy about parents weekend, although it didn't look like there were a whole lot of parents there. Uh, I'm not sure protecting that, uh, you know, game time, uh, you know, did them all that much good. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, the alums, I think that would be something that the alums should probably uh, respond to and, and, and make it clear to USC that, that homecoming ought to be the weekend that you protect. It, it just, it, I just think there's something about homecoming in, in college football that, that needs to be protected. You wouldn't think you'd have to tell your college to protect homecoming, but uh, that's not a, not, a, not a good deal, I don't think, at all. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I'm, that's going to be a game I want to enjoy. I hope it's a good time. I guess if it's Pac-12 Network, it'd be like 2 p.m., which would be pretty good for for homecoming. Okay. But I don't know. But we'll that's the, like the good news is you're on at a good time. The bad news: no one in the world will get to see the game. Yeah. Okay. So you've got so. But who? I mean, this will be the first time I think any of us will be saying, "Boy, I hope it's on the Pac-12 Network," because um, otherwise it's going to be either real early or pretty darn late. I mean, 7:45. I think that's the latest I ever remember a, a game. I mean, maybe there was a game, you know, starting later than that, but uh, 10.45 on the East Coast, uh, man, what's even the point of being on national TV? Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, I guess we've got to roll into some news. I think uh, it's funny out of all the news that's happened recently, we go into homecoming kickoff. Start. Well, it just was personally affecting me. Keely. True, I know true. Like, that's, you know, I, I don't ever get to do games like this. All right, well, let's do some news okay so so last uh so sunday night we have the conference call with clay helton and i don't normally ask questions but not as many people have been asking questions so i punch in i'm gonna ask a question uh ask him a little bit about jack sear stuff and then basically just hey are you gonna you know you guys are four and four is it time to or, or are you thinking about making some significant changes and i didn't say specifically with coaches or practice or whatever and i don't know dan if you want to summarize his answer but it was more like 
yeah, we're not going to do anything different this week. We'll just prepare for Oregon State. And we'll look back. Uh, we'll look back at it after the season, after the next four games. And then less than 24 hours later, he uh, demotes T. Martin, takes over play calling, and fires basically his second father in Neil Calloway. Uh, pretty, pretty big turn of events from Sunday night to Monday afternoon. Yeah, and from his answer, I didn't think he was just covering up what was going to happen. I really got the sense that he didn't think anything was going to happen and that he gave you the kind of standard, yeah, you know, we evaluate everything and we look at ourselves and, and, and we'll do that, in, you know, four weeks after the season's over. I really thought that's what he he really believed that at, at the time. Now, obviously, I guess if you wanted to be really, uh, uh, you know, push harder, you end up coming back and saying, have you talked to Lynn Swan about this? Or will your answer be the same after you meet with Lynn Swan on Monday? Uh, which obviously it wasn't, uh, wasn't the same answer. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that uh, letting Neil Calloway go was something Clay came up with. It's just, uh, yeah. you know, it might've been something. Now Neil Calloway might've said, I know you're getting a lot of pressure and you've got to make some changes. I'll take one for the team. And why don't you let me go? And if you're Neil Calloway and the way every, you know, way this team practices and maybe the ability to actually coach them up uh, and maybe just the, you know, the combination of players and personalities and all that, Neil Calloway might've said, heck, I'd just rather not be coaching these guys or coaching, you know, the rest of the year or whatever. So I think, you know, I guess it could have happened a couple of different ways. Uh, the thing with T. Martin, relieving him of his offensive coordinator duties, but still keeping him as a, um, as a wide receiver coach and, uh, and, the, uh, and a recruiter, it's just hard to imagine how T. Martin could possibly stay uh, under those conditions. And, and under those conditions, it's hard to imagine what his uh, role in recruiting would be. Uh, you know, going forward, I, I just don't see that as a viable, you know, uh, a viable way to go. And then, you know, then the third thing is you move, you know, Tim Drevno to pick up the offensive line. And now you really don't have anybody coaching the running backs. I mean, you didn't, you know, I don't, whatever combination of grad students and, and whatever, you know, maybe the big announcement tonight would be, you know, we decided we found this guy, a, a local high school coach, uh, named Todd McNair, and uh, he could step in and uh, coach the running backs for the rest of the year. That would be worth making. Listening to the show tonight would be worthwhile if that out announcement uh, came out, but I'm guessing probably not. Uh, but it would be a, a really interesting thought to uh, to give the running backs a, a coach since they pretty much haven't had one all year. Yeah, the uh, and then so – Clay Elton had a conference call earlier today, part of the Pac-12, and he was asked specifically, did Lynn Swan uh, pressure, you know, he met with Lynn Swan, as he always does on Monday. He said that it was all his decision, that he, you know, at you know, thought about it last night. So apparently after I asked him that question, he thought about it that night and then came up with the decision this morning. Like, you know, he, he thought it was the right timing to take over the offense. And um, he had said on the conference call that T. Martin was very supportive. He was a pro about it. Um, and he also said that Lin Swan didn't pressure him to make these, uh, decisions at all. So it was kind of strange. I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe all of that, but you know, whatever, but that's, that's at least what Clay Helton said. 
Yeah, I, I, it's it becoming harder and harder to to take it, you know, for you know, at face value for everything that you know we're being we're being told, uh, and you can understand that uh, going forward. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know that the weekend happened just the way they said it, because then if what he told what he said month, today is true then what he said Sunday wasn't true. I mean, you know, I mean, you can't just say, oh, I got off that conference call. Huh, let me rethink this. Maybe I should, no, come on. Uh, one of those two wasn't, doesn't, you know, square with the other. Uh, you know, you don't have a Sunday night conference call and a Monday morning conference call with diametrically different outcomes and responses. I mean, it's, it's not possible. So, you know, I mean, what happened Monday either was imposed or had to have been, you know, in the works well before Sunday night. Uh, you know, so uh, I think we're at, a, we're at a place where the exact words of what people say are not things that you should pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious to see what happens at practice today. We're going to have to, we'll go watch that a little bit later on. Never a dull moment, mm-hmm. Keely. Um, any thoughts on that? I'm just really curious about the dynamic going forward. Uh, I noticed earlier this morning, T Martin basically scrubbed everything relating to USC off of his Twitter profile. Um, it's a picture of him and his family and a picture, his cover photo is a beach. And before he had his title and he had, um, his, his uniform for his USC uniform in his profile picture. So it's just interesting because he's demoted and it's obviously, you can read the writing on the wall. He's essentially going to be gone next season one way or another because how do you take a demotion like that but also i'm so curious what this is for recruiting you know you're in the the thick of it right now and your main recruiter got a demotion yeah so it just it doesn't look good your best recruiter well, I mean, on the yeah, squad yeah and i think the other part of that is how do you recruit when so many people will say even if the head coach survives this year somehow he probably won't survive the next year. And so even if you sign with USC this year, you really don't know who will be your head coach the following year and what, you know, what offense they're going to run and all that. I think they're in a really, really difficult spot recruiting right now. I think it's just a terribly difficult spot. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you make decisions at times, uh, like last year, to extend the contract because, that looks good for recruiting. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how you make this work for recruiting in any way. Uh, even if, you know, even if the athletic director comes out and says, we're absolutely behind, uh, you know, Clay for the next year or whatever, you know, with the rumors of, you know, radio, uh, you know, I don't even know how to describe the word, you know, something on uh, an announcement that would, you know, go for another year or whatever uh, as being a positive sign. I don't think so. I don't think a a one year is a positive sign. I mean, could they win if they won out four straight games and, and got to a bowl game that they did pretty well and that might be a positive sign. I'm not sure anything short of that. Uh, could be a positive sign at this point and how, you know, T Martin can really be, you know, uh, positively involved. And you got to, you know, this is the problem with the staff is you have a staff where everybody isn't 
really positively involved in recruiting. So uh, this is a problem right now. Recruiting, I think, is a, a really serious issue. Especially with the early signing day. I mean, who's going to want to sign early when you don't even know if your position coach might be there next season? You know, I, I, I'm really curious what the numbers will look like on that first wave because it probably won't be good. No, it can't be. No. Can't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't advise anyone uh, to go ahead and, and take that kind of leap of faith. I think it's uh, – so, I, you know, if you're Lynn Swan, I don't know what, you know, the, what the right answer is, is right now, uh, if there is a right answer. Uh, I don't, so you can't get ahead of where this season is going, and yet, uh, you know, to have people just, you know, talking and thinking, you know, this is going to happen. If it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen, you know, sooner uh, then later, uh, how, how do you go forward with that? USC, that this is extremely difficult in terms of recruiting at this point because the kid might say, well, I'd like to go to USC. I've always liked to go to USC. It doesn't matter so much who the coach is except for the fact that I don't want somebody to come in here in a year who – I, who may not want you know want me might not have wanted me might not coach the way the way I play the game, uh, and that does happen. And um, you would just think all of those kids are going to wait, even if they you know are interested in USC. Uh, you would think you know people around them would say just wait, let's see what happens here. Um, do we want to, Keely? I'm going to let you. You're, you're the boss. Do we want to <laughs> do a few coaching? I mean, not coaching. Uh, a few game questions first to talk about the game a little bit and then do some more of the, cause we have a lot of coaching kind of questions or do we want to, we have a lot of coaching questions, maybe address the game a little bit. A little bit first. I'm, you're the boss. All right. Well, people, I'm not the boss. Like Keely, you're more like, you tell me what to do. False. Gerard tells me what to do. Dan tells, everyone tells me what to do. I just kind of, I'm the, like the paper tiger boss. Um, okay. Let's, uh, here's a voicemail question. Big one. Uh, one of the big plays in the game. Hi, this is Richard from uh, Palm Springs, uh, right after the game. I'm just wondering uh, if Helton going for it instead of kicking a field goal and maybe having the game tied at that time, if that cost him the game, and do you think, you guys, that it was a smart play at all? And I don't know if it cost him the game, but it sure seems like it didn't help. And because of that, there are two words that I probably haven't said in 15 years, and those are Paul Hackett. <laughs> reminds me so much of the Hackett years and looking over when they were down 24 to 7 and seeing players over there laughing and not really caring and no enthusiasm. Um, I don't know. It's just a very, very sad time and uh, I don't know what the answer is. Maybe Swan knows the answers, but again, I think uh, Swan and Hilton need to have big time talk and figure out just where this program is headed because it doesn't look good. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the program. Take care. Hope you answer the question. Bye. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, it's a, the perfect question, not only about the game, but about, about the coaching is the, um, the difficulty of knowing what play do you call? Okay. They originally thought it was fourth and two. So that makes it easier to kick the field goal. It would have been 37, 38 yards. They missed the 39 yarder a week ago. So, you know, you're, you're using your backup, uh, field goal kicker. So it's not like an automatic. Uh, that's what you're going to do. Then they find out it's, it's fourth and one. And, uh, uh, apparently from what we understand, maybe that it was Clay's call. 
that they go with the play they'd run earlier and they didn't get penetration. So they run the play again uh, with the guard pulling and, the, and they get penetration in the A-gap. Um, uh, and the kid that makes the tackle was the freshman linebacker from uh, Sarah, uh, Merlin Robertson, who gets, uh, who gets penetration. They don't get the guard there. And so uh, basically, uh, you know, stops uh, Cedric in his tracks. And um, it's it, it, a perfect example of what the problem has been all year. Uh, even though they'd hit a decent enough offensive line play and running the ball, it's not perfect. And they don't, you know, they don't have a go-to play in that situation. They mostly have plays that don't work in that situation uh, when they really need uh, third or fourth and, and short. And so, you know, you're, you're just hoping that a play works. You're hoping you've got the right running back in there. You're hoping the offensive line all are able to execute. And they weren't. And they didn't. And, you know, I think he had two bad choices because if you don't know for sure that you've got the play and the players and everybody knows, you know, we're going to execute this thing, any play you call is, is a gamble. I mean, people, you know, say, well, why didn't they just run Jack on a, uh, you know, a keeper? And he's athletic and he could get outside. And that sounds great, except – that would look like another desperation because it means you didn't trust your offensive line. And on those plays, you never know how that guy on the edge, he may guess and he may make the right play and you got the quarterback out there and, and you know, he loses yardage or whatever. I mean, this is where USC is now having not been able to develop an offense and a line and, and they don't practice it. And we don't see, uh, you know, that much at all of the, you know, tough short down yardage, practice certainly not in pads uh, so they're going with something they're hoping is going to work but it's not something that they know is going to work and when you get into those situations you have to know what you're doing is going to work you have to feel really good about it really confident about it this team doesn't it's not in a place where they can feel confident about almost anything they do i'm not sure there there's anything that this team feels confident about and that's you know basically the entire you know couple of years of coaching where they've gotten to a bad place and and uh, you know an awful lot of it uh, you know goes back to the practice field and just the the sense of having to play on paper or having it you know showing it to them on the board isn't the same uh, and then walking through it at, at practice isn't the same as actually making it happen and physically uh you know imposing your will on the other team and you ought to be able to do that on Arizona State. USC versus Arizona State on fourth and one ought to go to USC. I mean, you're on the 20-yard line. Uh, you, you, you get that play. You take the ball in and score. You win the game. You're at home. Uh, that didn't happen. And uh, it's you know, one of the reasons they had all the, all the shakeups on, you know, um, but still, uh, that's not – I, that doesn't seem to be the answer. It's just not, you know, you know rearranging the deck chairs and all that. Um, you've got to practice differently. You've got to believe in what you're doing. You've got to have the offensive scheme that works. Uh, I'm not sure the short run game works out of this USC offensive scheme. It hasn't worked, you know, this year. Didn't work that well last year, but Robert, Ronald Jones was able to turn those plays into, you know, home run uh, just because of his own, you know, individual effort. Uh, and they don't have that, that guy this year. 
Um, and so, you know, they, they end up in more of these situations where what they do doesn't work. But, huh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, you know, when you talk about the way this team's being coached, it's, it's not, it's not being coached the way, uh, a successful program is being coached and you can pick out your, you know, your guys and you can say, well, it was uh, Neil Calloway or it was T Martin or it was Clay Helton. Yeah. It's everybody. In the same vein, Brian asks, do you feel that a team can truly be a power running team with running almost exclusively out of the shotgun and without a fullback? I don't think so. Uh, I, uh, you, you absolutely have to have tight ends at block. Okay. I mean, if you don't have tight ends at block and, and you got to win those one-on-one battles and, and we don't see that happening. I mean, you look across the USC offensive line and which one of those guys wins those one-on-one battles that you can absolutely depend on. He's going to whip the guy across from him, uh, play after play. Is there somebody? I don't think so. Uh, and, and that makes, that makes life difficult. And, and which one of those guys is not going to get beat or he's not going to grab somebody or whatever. I don't think there is, you know, that person. So, so for a lot of reasons, I don't think this can be a power running team for a lot of reasons. I mean, there are people who say, you know, aren't you better off fourth and one? Just, you know, uh, sneaking, you know, get the quarterback under the center and sneaking it. Yeah, but the problem there is they do that so little. Even if they know you're coming, you'd, ha- you'd have to worry about the snap. Would the snap, uh, would they handle the snap properly? If you don't handle the snap, you can't run a, you know, you can't run a sneak. So uh, they put themselves in a bind. And every time, you know, they come up against this kind of a situation, they get bit. I mean, they just, uh, you know, they just, uh, they're not prepared to uh, succeed in these situations uh, in the run game, all the way through the run game. They're unprepared uh, to be able to run. And to call yourself, to go into the season, calling yourself a run-first team and not do anything to make yourself a run-first team is the disconnect there is hard to even imagine how you could say you're one and do nothing to be that. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's very, uh, unnerving to think that you could miss the mark that much as USC has this year. Yeah. The, um, I think with people that do the advanced stat stuff, if it's a fourth and one, that's why I mean, we talked about this on the live show a little bit. I didn't really have an issue with the call, but I do feel like USC's um, power rushing numbers aren't usually very good. And they're not, um, you know, third and short. Like, so uh, third and short, USC's ranks 120th in the country uh, on offense. Um, so 13% is what they're converting on third and short. So, I mean, they just don't typically do the short yardage thing very well. So, yeah, maybe overall percentage-wise, you're better off going for more fourth and ones than not. But I, I get what Keeley and some of the other people are saying that in that say, situation, kicking the field goal, or at least attempting to, would would be the good call. But it's it's tough when you don't feel confident in your short yardage game. Then what, what are you going to do? Well, they had two bad choices. I think because I don't I don't know watching Brown miss that 30, uh, 39 yarder last week doesn't give me a lot of confidence in that he you know with the thirty seven thirty eight yarder that it would have been, uh, this week. So then, you, you know, what do you do? I mean, and if you kick the field goal, it's a, another 
you know, shot that you're taking at your own run game. Um, and it's like saying, we don't trust you. You know, it's all the offensive linemen, uh, and the running backs and the, and the people, you know, scheming the, you know, the run game and all of that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big negative. And again, you'd only be tied with 10 minutes to go. And you'd proven as you proved <laughs> right after that, that you couldn't stop Arizona state. And so they scored another touchdown. So, you know, you'd have still been, uh, you know, required to, you know, throw the bomb into the end zone. Uh, you know, so, you know, you know, to get a tie. Yeah. I, I, I just think whatever they did when you're in this situation where USC is now, there's no really good call. Uh, they're just no good call. Every one of the calls they were going to make was probably not a good call and, and not one that you would be happy with, even if it turned out. All right. I mean, you could have, I would guess if you'd have had Jack Sears on a keeper, he probably would have made it. He might still be running, but if he didn't make it, Oh my goodness! They're, they're just you know just going to come down on you because again you would have gone away from a, a you know the short yardage run game that you've proven you can't do, and uh, you know whether they make that connection between the inability to do that and the way they practice, I don't know. We we've tried to ask it every way you can ask it. We've talked about it every way you can talk about it, and you get no response, no sense that they think there's any connection between how they practice and how it works on the field, especially in the short yardage, uh, tough yardage situations. You just can't get them to go there. They just will not admit that what they're doing doesn't work. We received multiple questions wondering what you thought about Jack Sears' performance in the sense that should Jack be the starter from now on? I know Helton said that uh, JT Daniels has clear concussion protocol and he mo- most likely will be the starter on Saturday against Oregon State, but we have a lot of people clamoring for Jack Sears to be the starter. Well, I thought Jack Sears did really well. I thought he did much better than he did in uh, in uh, spring much better than he did in, in preseason, uh, although he had his moments in preseason. Uh, I think, and Ryan has made this point, and it's correct, I think they do a better job coaching to both Jack and Matt because they limit um, what they try to do. And one would have liked to see them basically uh, craft game plans uh, you know, to the quarterback for JT Daniels as much as they do, you know, with uh, with Matt and Jack, you know Matt obviously went against the Utah backups, and uh, Arizona State is not exactly uh, you know Texas or even Stanford, uh, so you know it's a different challenge, uh, and and they do have a tendency to think you know JT can make every throw, so let's see if we can have him do that. Well, I, I think they, they they have not. I don't think put JT in a position for success. The way uh, I thought they they put Jack in a in a in a better position uh, for success once they once they you know got him into the game. Once they you know I don't think they practiced enough with Jack uh, eleven on eleven last week and and full go. Uh, and they obviously shouldn't have run that uh, speed option pitch uh, down deep in USC territory in the first half that gave uh, uh, Arizona State a score. But uh, but I thought they did smart things with with him one would hope they do smart things with jt jt's got more arm talent I don't, there's no question about that jt's got more arm talent than 
than a lot of quarterbacks in the country, most quarterbacks in the country. Uh, I don't think they've been able to, you know, I don't know that the patterns have all, uh, you know, been ideal for JT. They don't seem to be throwing the ball over the middle anymore. They don't seem to be throwing the ball to the tight end, although they did a little bit with Jack. Um, I, I, so I, I don't know that it's fair to JT for people to take that that game and say, oh, Jack should be the starter. Uh, I, I don't think that that's fair. JT has some really special uh, skills and, 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 and abilities that uh, haven't been uh, – haven't been used as well as, as they probably should. And he's benefited less from, um, you know, the offensive line. I thought the offensive line had a little better chance to have a standoff, for example, against um, Arizona State. The kind of standoff they didn't get against Utah or Texas or whatever. So uh, JT's been in, in tougher situations. So, yeah, I have no problem at all that, uh, uh, going back to JT, but they got to get, you know, get the offense to uh, something that really benefits uh, JT's skill set, and I don't know that that's always matched up. So another indication of something has is, is not been working really well with the offense, obviously, with two of them being uh, not in their positions uh, anymore. But uh, I think it's more than you know just the two. Uh, but, but, yeah, I'm fine with, uh, with going back with JT, and I'm fine with the performance that Jack had. I think – if uh, if it doesn't work out for Jack at USC, I think the um, the game he had, the tape, uh, the Arizona State game, uh, I think gets him a scholarship somewhere, a uh, pretty good scholarship if he wants to, you know, transfer. And he's obviously said, "No, I'm a Trojan. I want a degree from here." And and so that may be, you know, that may be the case. If that's the case, then you you should have two pretty good quarterbacks going going forward, you know, in future years. And I don't want to, you know, question where he was on the depth chart. Should he have been third? Probably not. But, but Matt, he had the seniority and uh, the confidence in the playbook, which probably this staff uh, depends on too much. It's like they, they don't always feel like they can bring guys up to speed uh, well enough to get them into games. And, and, and that, I think, is kind of a failing by the coaches, not the players. We got a uh, we got some voicemails. I'll play this first one for you, Dan. Here you go. Hey, Ryan, this is Carl from Costa Mesa. And I assume after the uh, loss to ASU, there's a lot of calls coming in regarding uh, firing of Helton. And I want to look at it maybe a different way. Uh, the guy certainly is a leader. Um, stabilize the program, and uh, can recruit. So the question really lies as to what we can do with the assistance. And could Lynn Swan or administration come in and say, here's who you're going to hire and dictate a new offensive coordinator and dictate a new defensive coordinator and certain key staff members, but keep Helton in there? Or is it kind of an all-or-nothing thing as it relates to both the head coaching position and the important assistant coaches? Uh, curious what um, you guys might have to say. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks. Well, uh, you know, it, it works out differently. Notre Dame kind of did that to uh, Brian Kelly and told him you're going to change the staff, and he did, and uh, look where he is. So uh, it, it probably really depends on the head coach. I'm not sure, for example, if you say, well, it's the assistant coaches. They don't really set up the practice schedule. They don't decide on no pads November. 
they don't say, you know, the most important thing we're going to do this week is keep fresh legs for, you know, for Saturday. Um, those are decisions I think that are much more made by the, um, by the head coach. And I think those are, you know, where USC really has kind of a, a problem. Uh, why the assistant coaches haven't been more effective and maybe <clears throat> asking about how they could, um, could get this, you know, maybe make some changes. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, many changes and yet, um, um, you got some assistant coaches on there who've been through, uh, you know, some really good uh, situations in terms of teams and coaching, and we're not seeing that, you know, with this team. So, you know, where does that, you know, that breakdown between how the assistant coaches want to coach? I mean, if you were, for example, if you're the defense coordinator and you're a little worried about uh, open field tackling, for example, full speed open field tackling, you know, you can set up some drills to do that, but you're not really going to get a chance to do that uh, almost at all for the whole season uh, with the way they practice. Uh, that that might make it difficult, you know, if you're the offense or the defensive coordinator to say, man, I'd like to do this, but there's no, you know, there's no period to do that. Uh, you know, that's not what coach believes in. Is there a way you can convince you know, the head coach, uh, no, we have to do this. Or he said, no, I don't want to take a chance with the offense or whatever. I mean, that, it, that it's not worked out that USC, you know, right now has 25 guys maybe that are, you know, 15 or you know, on a week-to-week basis that, that scholarship guys who can't travel. And, uh, and then another, you know, as many as 10, I guess, out of that Utah game who were bumped and bruised and injured in the game itself. That's a lot of guys that USC, um, you know, has to deal with who are, you know, out of action uh, for various kinds of injuries. One almost wonders if you scrimmaged every day, would you have any more? Uh, and I, I, I mean, you know, the numbers are, are just staggering as far as how many, how many players that they've had to deal with. And the fact that you have four captains, Three of them are on defense, three seniors, none of whom could play against Arizona State because of injuries. All three of them gone. I mean, and that was a big part of this, you know, team was it was going to be defensive-oriented. Three of the four captains are, you know, defensive guys in Porter Gustin, Cameron Smith, Marvell Tell. All three of them walk out for the, you know, the, the uh, uh, toss of the coin last Saturday. None of them are in uniform. That you know, it would seem to be you would want to ask yourself, what are we doing here? Are we helping ourselves in terms of, uh, you know, avoiding injuries the way we practice? Because basically, I guess almost all the injuries seem to come in games. And, you know, does that tell you something? I don't know. But it's a question I think somebody better be asking. Steve wrote in wondering, am I the only one that is confused by the timing of Callaway's firing and teased emotion? The problems with this offense have been glaring all season. Wouldn't a better time for this change have been earlier in the season when USC still had a chance to win the conference? Winning the South is pretty much out of the question at this point. What's the point of this change now? So they can go to the Red Box Bowl instead of the Sun Bowl or the Cheez-It Bowl? And will any of it really matter if they stick with no pads November? Yeah, I, I, you know, that'll certainly be a question to be asked today. 
Uh, although by the time we get to November, it'll be past the uh, the pad part of the, uh, of the of the practice week. But um, uh, yeah, uh, I think w- that would make you think that this wasn't a uh, a decision internally from from the coaching staff itself because the problems. I mean, if those problems had, you know, were you not watching the Stanford game? That was week two. They scored three points. You know, I mean, nothing has changed. I mean, actually, the offense in the Arizona State game and the performance of the offensive line were probably better than the norm or the average for this whole year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that that was a response to exactly how it's going in games it was a response to being four and four and and really really struggling uh but you i think you had plenty of of um of evidence in a you know the three-point stanford game uh that something had to happen and nothing did and they went from there you know with without much difference uh the rest of the year yeah, the, the timing is just really strange. I mean, I it's it's eight games in, and it just doesn't look like it's something that this was planned. It looks like it was a reluctant, almost desperate sort of decision that, um, hey, you know, you just were hoping that things would turn around, and if if you, if you won the South, then all the problems would kind of go away. And then you lose Arizona State, and it's like, well, that really doesn't seem like a possibility anymore. But now. You know, you're two thirds of the way through the season. I, it just seems like something that should have been done before the season. Doing it now, I don't know how much that impacts things, but it also begs the question too: is it seems like this was something that was brought along, pressured from from above. And if you're doing that, if you're Lynn Swan and you're like, "Hey, you got to make some changes, or this isn't going to work out," would you even bother doing that if you knew that you were going to make a change at the end of the season? Like, I don't know what that really does. Like, why would you want to, if, if you feel like you were going to go in a different direction, would you tell the coach to, to fire someone and move things around, you know, with only four games left? That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. Yeah. Or does the coach decide I have to do this? This is the only way to, you know, survive, uh, and, and yeah. give us a, you know, give us a chance. Uh, uh, for I mean, if had they win, they win the Arizona State game. They're five and three, and technically they're tied at the top of the Pac-12 South. Now they lost the tiebreaker to Utah, but they still could have said, you know, all, all Utah has to do is stumble, and 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 we're going to win the Pac-12 South. So I think that was the kind of that false uh, hope that uh, you know you don't change anything. Once that was lost, I think at that point. It's like, okay, we should have done this earlier. We've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. We need to do something, anything. Uh, and if you're Lynn Swan, you probably can't keep telling people, no, we're not going to do anything. Yeah, everything's going okay. You know, no, you, had to, you have to make it look like you're doing something. And this is a team that hasn't responded. I mean, basically they went – uh, six games, seven weeks uh, after the uh, Stanford game, without a response. Basically, I mean, you know, you how do you not respond to not scoring a touchdown against what now turns out to be not a very good Stanford team that most of us thought was the case then? Uh, and 
but I think now you're forced to do something, anything. And that's what they did. They did something, anything. It just, it just reeks of desperation. Desperation that doesn't yeah. really, really do much. You know, I no. mean, it, it no. is interesting, though, because the perspective until this point was denial, denial, denial. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. And now suddenly it's like, no, we're not fine. It's yeah. not fine. It's wrong. Everything's wrong. And it's like, OK, that was a 180 pretty fast. Like you could have changed this. As Dan said, you could have changed this leading up before your hopes for the Pac-12 championship are gone. Yeah. But I mean, to Dan's point, too, maybe it is. And if it's a Clay Helton move completely. It's, hey, we got to try to win these last four games so I can keep my jobs. And maybe it's something like that, too. I don't know. I guess so. I just I continue to not understand why this Clay Holden slash coaching staff is so resistant to change. Any, yeah. any type of change. I don't know. And this was tough. You know, Clay Holden on the, on the conference call today said this was the toughest thing he ever. I think it was I think specifically the toughest thing he ever had to do. And, you know, Bruce Feldman, our buddy, talked to Clay about Neil Calloway before. Uh, what was the game that the the game that uh, Porter Gustin got hurt, the Colorado game. So Fox was doing that. Bruce Feldman was a sideline guy. So you get some access. And and he basically told Bruce that Neil Calloway was like a second father to him growing up. That's how close they were. So for him to not just fire him, the fire him midseason, never thought that would have happened. Never thought he would have made a move like that. I thought he would have had to be fired like after the season. But yeah. to do that midseason, well, two-thirds of the way through the season, um, things have to be you have to realize things aren't going well. So, but that the problem is you could, everyone else saw this like last year. Like it wasn't like, this is new. Once you brought Tim Drevno in. Yeah. It's like, you kind of knew. It was sort of like when Lane Kiffin was, he was supposed to fire. Uh, it was, uh, was it Craig? What was his name? Um, Craig, Craig, James Craig, Craig. James Craig. James and Craig. instead of Ooh. doing that, he brought in, I think Bob Connolly too. No, someone else. It wasn't Bob Connolly. It was, uh, I don't know. He brought in Mike, a second. Uh, Summers? Mike Summers. Summers. Yeah. So he, it was like he was being a petulant child, as Lane Kiffin likes to be sometimes. Instead of firing the guy that everyone thought he should fire, he brought a second offensive line coach in. So that's sort of what Clay Helton did, too. And, you know, he learned from Lane Kiffin. So that's that's kind of what he saw. And, that, you know, that's what he did. Yeah, because the Drevno thing didn't make any sense. It was like, well, he was here. He was liked and respected. He's available now when Michigan let him go. And, uh, you know, we're not going to have to pay anywhere near what Michigan was paying him. And uh, we'll bring him in, even though there's not a spot for him. And even though we had this great running backs coach, we won't be replacing. Uh, we'll just see how it works. And, uh, and that'll en enable us to keep, you know, Coach Callaway. I mean, what you have to think about Coach Callaway, he, he recruited uh, Clay for Auburn. He was the Auburn coach who recruited Clay and gave Clay his scholarship to Auburn when Clay was a high school kid. And he basically, Clay's dad, a coach with him, uh, you know, uh, in college, and he was uh, Clay's dad's best friend. So, I mean, the relationship there is just so, you know, longstanding and deep, uh, and we know how, you know, Clay feels about, you know, uh, family. And, 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 you know, Coach Callaway, you know, was family, which is why I almost think, it might have been Coach Callaway's uh, instigating it and saying, look, I'll take one for the team here. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me a bit if he would have said, let me be the, the guy that, that gets thrown under the bus. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. On the topic of changes, George in Oxnard wants to know, 
what these changes actually actually means on a daily basis in practice. He says, I'm not sure that the O-line will perform that much better since Clay makes personnel changes and toughens them up, and then the whole team, for that matter, with physical practices. Do you see this happening, or will it be business as usual? How much say will Drevno have in the matter? Also, who coaches the running backs now? Yeah, I don't know that we know the second part of that. Um, uh, I will be interested to see if there is any movement personnel-wise in terms of some competition on the offensive line. I mean, it did seem pretty stagnant that if you won the you know, spot um, at the end of August, you were going to stay there. Uh, so we, don't, we haven't seen much of that. Uh, just that alone, even if you don't you know, go a little harder, even if you don't go in pads the second day that you're allowed to do that and all, all of that, uh, there might be just a little bit more uh, more movement and, and maybe you know a sense of if you're one of those backup guys and you think hey I've got a chance um, then maybe you go out there and really go hard and you know either you get better and get the job or you push that guy ahead of you to get better and, and get the job or a guy knows that you know if I don't show up and practice pants today if I just decide to take the day off I've practiced. Tuesday, I don't need to practice Wednesday or whatever. If those things all start happening, just that little bit of uh, additional element of competitiveness. Now, whether that is something that, you know, that uh, Coach Drevno brings or not, I don't know. But uh, there are ways in which just little changes, uh, you know, can make make a difference. Uh, you know, where, you know, if you, you know, if you get a, a, a careless penalty in a crucial situation or if you have one of those physical beats or you, uh, you know, you just uh, miss an assignment that you might not be out there, you know, the next series, uh, that could be a difference. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, but possibly, you know, your attitude, I mean, their attitude about how things are going to go changes a little bit, even if practice in general doesn't, which I I don't anticipate it will, but who knows? We didn't anticipate all the stuff that was going to happen, you know, Monday after Sunday. So maybe, uh, maybe there's also kind of a, a meeting of the minds that practice itself has to change, uh, which is why uh, today's practice will be so interesting. We have another uh, voicemail question for you, uh, Dan. This is about the, the transfer rule. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Darren from Venice. I have a question for you all. I'm trying to figure out the new NCAA proposed changes that would make all transfer players immediately eligible after a head coaching change. It would suck to have a bunch of coaches trying to poach our players from our roster and deplete the roster for the new coach that will be hired. Can you talk about the impact that this proposed change would have on us for the upcoming season should Clay get canned? Thanks. Fight on. Well, uh, you probably should have saved that one till after Halloween, because uh, I don't keep guys from uh, being able to go to sleep the rest of the week if they think. Uh, um, and I don't think it's the rule yet. Um, but uh, if that rule got passed, uh, that would be for that would be some scary times if they allowed you actually to. I mean, I, I think absolutely they should allow uh, signees who have yet to go to a school. If the coaching, uh, if coaching, uh, head coach changes between the time you signed and the time you, you're, uh, scheduled to be on campus and start school, I think you ought to be allowed to do that. Uh, but as far as, uh, as a head coaching change, uh, freeing all your players, 
man, that could do some that could do some serious damage. And I don't think it's wrong to think that the new head coach really needs to come in and re-recruit everybody and has to be a, a choice that everybody's excited about. I think that's all great. But that could be, uh, you know, and I'm not always that sympathetic to the institution that, that, that you want to make it more of a, uh, if it's a choice between the player and the school, you want to go with the player. I mean, you know, the, the, the power imbalance there is so great, and it's always favored the school, especially in terms of transfers, where coaches are allowed to, you know, jump from one contract to the next and players aren't. Uh, but, um, but I would be against that uh, allowing everybody on the team to transfer if the head coach has changed. I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think that makes it too much uh, a statement that uh, we're here only to play football. Uh, and, and you don't hear that. I mean, uh, you know, Jack Sears made that clear. I wanted, I wanted a degree, you know, a degree from USC. Uh, I think Matt Fink said the exact same thing. So you don't want to, I don't, I wouldn't want to, you know, say that it's all about football. I, I think that would be the wrong statement. So hopefully, uh, and I don't know what the timetable is on, uh, on that, uh, proposal, uh, for the NCA. I would think that one wouldn't, that one would not pass. That, that would make life almost impossible for schools um, if they were going to hire a new coach. That would, I would make, make the, cause if you're going to hire a new coach, very often things aren't going all that well to begin with. And then if your top, you know, eight or 10 players could all be poached, uh, you know, by teams who say, we've got exactly the right opportunity for you here. You don't know what's going to happen at your place. Uh, that would, that would be really difficult for schools to handle. So, uh, Hopefully that, that doesn't come into play, and I don't think that's going to be the rule uh, right now. We have an international question from Athen- from Robert in Athens, Greece. He says, considering Coach Helton is a lame duck, if he somehow makes it to next season, do you believe the kinds of coaches he and USC really need will want to come work for him, assuming that the Board of Trustees opens up the wallet, even though it could very well be a one-and-done? I think you can look at that two different ways. I think one way is if you've got some really, really terrific uh, top assistant, um, he might think, you know, Clay might not make it, but I will. Uh, I'll be such a good offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator that they'll keep me to run the program. Uh, I mean, that's one way to look at it. I mean, you know, the other way is nobody wants to coach for a lame duck, uh, lame duck head coach. I think you could make that work for you a little bit, but basically you then you're hiring your replacement. And, uh, I think that was a factor in, uh, uh, honestly, I think USC could have gotten Ed Orgeron back. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think anybody at USC wanted to hire Clay's replacement. Uh, uh and I think at that point in time, um, if we look back on what's happened, that would have happened. Now, Ed stayed at LSU, and he became the replacement of the guy, you know, that hired him. Uh, and, and that's how it happened. And you just never know, uh, you know, how this, how it's all going to work out. But uh, so, so I guess you could do that, but I do think it would be a factor in terms of limiting. Uh, you'd, you'd have to pay a lot of money, uh, and you probably have to give a multiple-year contract for sure to get – people like that to come here and then you know are you paying a you know a big big contract multiple years to somebody 
who you know and everybody knows, uh, maybe everybody will be out of their job. Uh, I do think it'll be interesting with the the current assistants. Uh, uh, are they you know do they start looking because uh, you know they can go somewhere else and and knowing that you know that their deals uh, are going to be up. I think there are a whole lot of uh, of really difficult issues that, that USC is going to have to walk through, and I'm just not sure. Um, that you've got the kind of uh, expertise in dealing with those issues because those are those are difficult things and USC hasn't handled the whole coaching contract all the way up and down the line uh, very well at all over the last decade so uh, it doesn't give you a lot of uh, you know confidence that that they'll be able to uh, maneuver that uh, really well and it's going to take some very smart. Um, um, handling however this goes uh to get through that and I, we haven't seen usc make a lot of really smart decisions so <laughs> that might be bad um i'm not like i actually had a conversation with my wife janet about this kind of stuff to me i'm still like if you're look if you want to go out and obviously there's no head coaching vacancy or anything right now but assistance whatever when you're talking about hiring people if you want to get an alpha you want to get someone who's really freaking good at what they do they look at a situation like I can go in and fix that. Like you, I think some people think about, well, why would anyone want to go there or everything? You know, bad, like Pat Hayden's a bad athletic director. No one would want to work for him. It's like, no, an alpha coach would see USC and go, yes, I would want to do that. I don't care who the athletic director is. I don't care. I can go in there. There's so many advantages of being at USC. I can make it work. So I hate this defeatist attitude a lot of people have. Like, when no one's going to want to come. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, this is USC. Like, this is – it's still USC. At the worst, it's a top 10 job. I still think it's a top five job in college football. And I, the rant I went on where I made – and this is the problem. There's Like we said, there's no head coaching vacancy. But we get all kinds of head coaching suggestions – there's some pretty terrible ones. I'm going to play you one uh, now. But my only two criteria, and I went on a, the you know the uh, YouTube or Facebook rant last night. They have to be someone who's been or is a successful college head coach, like not an like a, a successful college head coach, and they need no ties to USC. I'm sick of people just oh I, I know that guy he played at USC go hire him no uh, this this next bad suggestion actually. Fits both criteria, so I'm not going to get mad at them, but I'll tell you why it won't work in a second. Hi, Ryan. This is Al from Central Valley. You're asking for a coach. Um, I say Mr. Sweater Vest is the best coach we can probably get. He's proven himself as being successful, and if you can lure Jim Tressel out of retirement, I think he would be the best coach for USC. He doesn't know the fight song. He's never uh, been affiliated with uh, USC. And he has a proven record. And um, I think he would be the best hire. Right on. So he does meet the criteria. So props for that. But he's also retired. He's the president of a university. And he had a huge NCAA scandals and stuff going on. So I'm not going to chastise you because you did meet both my criteria. But someone who's still active, you know, so he's not active anymore. He's a university president. He's not coming back. My mom fits that criteria. Like I think you might have to like <laughs> narrow no, it down. No, she wasn't a, a successful college head coach. True. Oh, true. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Trestle was was on NCAA probation when he got the Ohio State job from his time at Youngstown State. Yeah. I mean, come on. He makes Urban look like a choir boy. <laughs> uh, so I mean, you just 
No. But he no, has no I ties, mean, and he was successful, and, but that was a decade ago, so we're not going to... And, 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 and I would agree with Ryan. I split the difference a little bit. I don't know that USC still a top-five job. It's one of the six or seven or eight schools where if you have the right coach, you, you will and, and can win a national championship. It's the only one on the West Coast. It's the only one right. you know, west of Texas uh, that's like that. Uh, and, you know, Clemson is one of those maybe top five jobs now that wasn't a top five job before Dabo Swinney got there. So whether that remains when he leaves, uh, I don't know. But you got, you know, obviously uh, LSU is probably kind of near where USC is. Uh, you're not up there with Alabama. You're not up there with Ohio State. Uh, you know, you put Clemson and Georgia maybe in there. Then, then you've got the ones like, uh, you know, Michigan, Texas, LSU, USC. That might be like your top eight. Of those, USC's ahead of all of the other three uh, because it's easier, I think, for USC to win a national championship. Yeah. It's easier to be in the Pac-12 and win a national championship. Much easier. Uh, the right guy at USC ought to win the Pac-12 every single year. Yeah. And you win the Pac-12 every – you run the table in the Pac-12, you're in the playoffs. You get in the playoffs, you got a chance. Uh, and so that's why USC, I mean, the, the four really good coaches that USC's had in history all won national championships. The rest of them, it's been amazing. USC hasn't, like, had any sort of, you know, mediocre coach. They, you know, you're either, you're either a national champ or you're fired. <laughs> it's amazing how that's worked at USC. I mean, you, you know, you, you're, you know, you're you're a, a legend. You got a statue, whatever, or you're a, a guy who people won't even say your name. Uh, how that's worked that way, I, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, but USC basically, I think that has to be the criterion. Uh, can this guy win a national championship? This is USC. Uh, everything else almost doesn't matter. Can this guy win a national championship? If he can't, he probably shouldn't be here. Yeah. It's, it's really that simple. And I, like you know, some of the disadvantages of being on the West Coast are also advantages where you could have the bet, like Nick Saban could go to Auburn and he's still got to go against Georgia and the, what he built at Alabama and LSU. Like you could have the best coach in the world and it's not easy to win. Like, you know, Alabama can do it, but like uh, these other programs that are up borderline, you know, they're top 10. It's hard to do. If you put Nick Saban at USC, he crushes everybody. And it just, it doesn't matter. Like you automatically win the PAC 12 every year. So there are advantages. USC is the big dog on the West coast. All you have to do is get it right. I mean, how many other programs could start off one and three and still win, win the Rose bowl? Like that's just not, that's just being USC that you just go mediocre and finish, average and finish number th what would they finish number three in three the country or four the country yeah <laughs> like that you couldn't do that yeah if you start at one and three at auburn or tennessee or something you're done like there's no you're never climbing out of that but in the pac-12 you can and you got the all the tradition and everything on your side people want to believe that you're going to be a power so um there that's why i feel an alpha coach just looks at that and go that's amazing like i can go there and and win and that's what you know, strong personality people do. They would say, I can go there and win. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested. And I don't know what Bob Stoops is thinking. And everybody says, oh, they treat him like a, you know, a god in Oklahoma. Yeah, so what? Um, might be better. You might, no, different people, different you know, choices. But you might rather be treated as a god in, you know, Southern California. Uh, 
But, uh, uh, you know, Oklahoma would be one of those top five. And yet, look at how much harder you have to work at it than if you were, say if you're Bob Stoops in Los Angeles, he's got to be looking and thinking if he wants to coach. If you were somebody who thought, you know, I've got one more shot to win the national championship, where do you go other than USC? You just say, hey, I could go there. We can recruit the best player from every state in the West Coast, on the West. You know, we can recruit the best player in Washington. We can recruit the best player in Arizona, Utah, you name it. USC can get the best player in Oregon. Nobody else can do that. And if you do it right and you selectively get those five kids or so from the rest of the country, um, you got a shot. You've got a shot. I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of having the right coach. I mean, you absolutely have a shot. Do we have any other uh, – we, we got so many oh, by more the questions. Way, I'm just seeing, a, I'm just seeing a, a note here that Urban Meyer says he's got lingering health issues that are oh. causing him occasional severe headaches, but he will stay with the Buckeyes as long as I can. Hmm. Nice. Interesting. Now, I wonder if he'd be available in a year like he was after Florida, after those he cleared up those uh, – occasional health issues that got him out of Florida for a year. But, I mean, you just never know who's going to call USC and what USC's response, you know, would be, should be. Uh, Has somebody already called? Yeah. Uh, I just think you don't know. But I think for some of the people who are negative, like you said, Ron, they maybe aren't seeing things the way someone like a, a Bob Stoops type guy would be looking at USC. Those guys would be looking at it differently, yeah. maybe from the people who are really discouraged right now. Right. They're not looking at it that way. It's almost like recruiting. Like the recruits, are, you know, they don't care if a player, oh, the school sucks. Like I go there and I can start and I can win. Like it's and a different. And that's what they pitch them. Like we need you. Yeah. Like look at, look at what you could do. It's exactly the same. Right. It's a, it's a, it's different than the, the the upset fans sitting on the couch who's just bummed that they're losing. Like no one wants to come to my school. Like no, that's not no, that's not the way it or is. Or we're never going to be any good. Oh, we're, we're never going to be any good. I mean, how good? Look, if you're looking at this program, how many really good freshmen are playing at USC yeah. right now? And if you came in here, and how many good second year guys? And it's just like you know, I mean, Talanoa Hafanga could be as good a, you know, safety, certainly freshman as there is in the country, you know, probably, yeah, you know, could be as good a, you know, linebacker. I mean, there are some real pluses to this program. I mean, let's face it, halfway decent coaching and they're seven and one. Yeah. Easy. So I got a, so, there's a stat that came across Twitter. I wanted to read to you. Uh, guess who's last in the pac 12 and third down uh, conversion percentage. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Dun, dun, I mean, uh, just, yeah. It, it's, it's pretty big range. Washington way up at it, number one, forty six point six percent. USC all the way down at twelve in the Pac twelve, thirty three point three percent third down conversion percentage. So now I, that's a hundred percent coaching, hundred percent coaching. Yeah. When I, you've got the number four roster in the country, it's yeah. a, that literally totally attributable to the coaching and the practicing and you know. There's, that's so bad. You don't even know where to start when you talk about it. I mean, that's that's just impossible uh, for I, USC to I, be there. I tweeted that there was a good batting average, but not a good third down percentage. So, <laughs> which it's true. It is a really good batting average. 
Um, Gosh. but that's not, yeah, I was like, I'm like, wow, just, that just puts in perspective. So maybe that's why Neil Calloway is now gone and Clay Helton's taking over the, uh, play calling duties. Of course, the thing about third down percentage is it often is a reflection of how bad you do on first and second, second downs too. I mean, that's where, you know, this team gets itself in trouble. How many throwaway plays there are, how many, uh, plays where they use, lose yardage, all that kind of stuff. I mean, or, you know, how many times, you know, when they're penalized, you know, so you're now first and, you know, 25 or first and 20, you're probably not going to convert her down. Uh, so it, it, the whole, you know, all the things that are going wrong contribute to that stat. All right. Uh, should we wrap it up? I guess we've got to go to practice. We've got to get to practice. See the, the madness in person. See, I, it's funny. When, when I'm doing the show, I try to get through every single question because I feel bad that people wrote in. Keely has no You're going to send the dogs to me. They, like, there's someone who's like, my question wasn't answered last week, so I'll send it again. Yes. I'm like, I tried to get to everyone. I tried. You answered like three questions. And, so and I'll, try, I'll try to answer them every week. I didn't get to them last week with the uh, morning game, but I'll always try to answer the ones uh, that we don't yeah. that we don't get answered on the show. Keely's more I cold-hearted. She can just like ignore people's uh, questions. Ryan. Where I'm like, I feel bad. Like they they took the time to wrote in. I try to get to them all. You know. Well, here's the thing: when it becomes as bad as it is, the questions all tend to hover around the same subject. So. You know, you can't do reviews. You can kind of group them in. Yeah, okay, I get it. So you just don't you don't like the people. I get it, Keely. That's right? Stop. <laughs> Keely was uh, Keely is a uh, uh, a born editor, I think. She's Keely's good, got yeah. the uh, editing uh, gene that really says, oh. "Out of here, you're gone." I would be horrible at that. Next. I can't imagine, like I, it's hard for me to cut stuff like, "Oh, no, that's good." Too. Like I just can't, it's like, "Oh, those are all positive things," you know, and I I could but editors you got to do it. So, Keely, I guess she's a good editor. I was a producer yep. in school. Gotta yeah. make the decisions. <laughs> she edited out all, all your questions. So if you don't get no, answered, stop it. At Keely is my name. Yeah, it is Keely's <laughs> fault. We will say that. <laughs> oh my God. Last week was Wazoo. This week is this. Y'all are just throwing me under the bus each week. Yeah, that's uh, up. <laughs> Hey, That's there good, are no buses in Corvallis. Yeah. Oh, crap. I didn't. We went over an hour. And t- okay. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, you know, I guess you have a decent point that we're over an hour and 10 minutes and we got to go to practice. But, Maybe. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Keely says, no. shut it down. No more questions for you. Uh, that's Dan Weber, Keely Yor. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.